Titans 8 in particular. As you may know, we are um, starting a, a new series uh, for the spring term in Romans chapters 5 to 8, but we're only really going to get going next Sunday, partly because uh, not all students are back yet. Uh, partly, it takes a little bit of time, doesn't it, to sort of get in to the new term, uh, to, to sort of get our bearings as our routines get, uh, get going again. So I thought it would be good to be thinking about the year ahead and, and really what one of my hopes is, uh, not just for myself but for all of us, that as a church we grow in our understanding of the Holy Trinity, of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that we commit ourselves as a church really to growing in Trinitarian prayer or to put it a little bit more colloquially uh, and according to the title of this book, that we enjoy God more, that we enjoy our relationship with God as our Heavenly Father, that we enjoy our relationship with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we enjoy our relationship with the Holy Spirit, the one who dwells in us, who changes us, transforms us, as God has promised. So let's just, let's just pray that this will be something not just that oh, I speak about and that we think about, for a few moments um, on a Sunday morning, but there's something that God works in us as a church in the year ahead. Let's just pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that you are our Father, that we can cry out to you from our hearts at the deepest level that you are Abba, Father. Lord, we thank you and praise you so much that you sent your Son into the world to die in our place, to be raised, to give us his righteousness so that we can be adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. And we praise you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell within us, that you have given us new life, that you will write your law on our hearts, that one day we will be conformed to the image of Jesus, made like him, in countless ways. Lord, please would you speak to us this morning and help us as your people to grow in our relationship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We're going to do something slightly different, as, as I said. We're going to have the readings, not that we're having a completely different way of doing things, uh, back to exposition next Sunday. Uh, but I'm going to uh, suggest that there's three questions um, that I wanted to talk about at the end. So uh, I hope to have got through the bulk of the sermon um, to give you time to think about the questions. And the questions will appear, I hope, on, on the screen. Christmas seems ages ago, doesn't it? it it's uh, dim and distant past now, as does the new year, even though it was only a week ago. Isn't that crazy? That, yeah, 2024, I, I know, I know. But it, it, time just keeps marching on, and, and maybe some of us have resolved to get more exercise, uh, to have a better sleep hygiene, to spend less time on our screens, to lose weight, to cut out alcohol, to have a most more sustainable life, all good things, how's it going? I I'm going to start those next week. <laughs> Others of us may be aware of our inability to really stick to any of these, so we we've resolved not to have any New Year's resolutions this year because, well, you know, every year we try and we just fail by about January the 6th. Uh, um, some of us may be thinking, well, 
to be honest, just keeping going, just keeping my head above water is all I can do. Don't give me something extra to do, John. Don't give me a whole year of resolution. I'm just about surviving. Well, I want to suggest that committing ourselves as a church to growing in our relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is something we do together. It's not an individual weight that we need to carry away from here. No, it's part of entering into the community of love that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, in a community of love, which is what the church is supposed to be. So we need to help one another. It's not that it, there's an intellectual project that we need to undertake that we just feel is beyond us. Although I think if we think over the year ahead about our relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it will stretch our minds. And the last thing I want it to be is a guilt trip you know, another thing to add to our New Year's resolutions. No, but I think it will be challenging. It's not an individual project to think about how our relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is going. But I hope it will transform our prayer lives, my prayer life, your prayer life. Because I'm sure, like me, you don't come to prayer thinking, oh, I'm looking forward to enjoying God prayer meeting on Tuesday, is our thinking, oh, I can't wait to be with God's people, to enjoy God more. Is that how we think about prayer? Probably not. And as we look at Romans chapters 5 to 8, there is so much gold, so much that is glorious that will feed our relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we may miss it unless we flag it up before we start. See, Romans chapters 5 to 8 has a deeply Trinitarian view of God, that God is one in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons. I mean, imagine you turn up for a family uh, meal. You're visiting this family for the first time, and, and you know that you're really bad with names, and because you're so bad with names, you decide to call them all human. It, they're actually called Bill, Betty, and Buster, and you turn up, uh, and, uh, and uh, the, mean is that the meal is going fine in, in, until you just call Bill human. He just thinks it's a bit weird, it's a bit odd. And then you call Betty human and Buster human, and, well, you're informed that the names are actually Bill and Betty and Buster, and you respond by saying, well, you know, names, shmames, you're all human, what does it matter? Are those relationships going to go very well? Uh, and particularly if you turn up again the next week and you just say the same thing, human. Now, of course, that's completely artificial. Of course it matters what names we call human beings because that's the basis of our relationship with those human beings. And to call God by the correct, the right names of the three persons, to relate to him as a community, a loving community of one essence, is a salvation issue. It makes an eternal difference to us. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved eternally. And all the early creeds of the church, if we were to read the preambles, in other words, that's what uh, the, the church put 
often before and after, basically they said, you need to believe these things in order to be saved eternally. And if you don't, you are anathema. You need to call God Father and Son and Holy Spirit because this is a salvation issue. It's not a sort of intellectual nicety for sort of Trinitarian geeks. No, this is a salvation issue that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can't get our heads around this, can we? I mean, nobody can because it's God we're talking about, the incomprehensible, the infinite, the eternal God, the creator who is eternal, outside time, who fills all things and is above, beyond all things. And any analogies like I've just used of a family and names are inadequate because nothing quite mirrors the mystery of the Holy Trinity. Augustine, the great African 4th century theologian who emphasized the oneness of God in the Trinity, illustrated the Trinity as body, soul, and spirit, one being with three aspects, or others have used water, gas, liquid, and ice. And all analogies fail because we're talking about God. So please, when I use analogies as I just have, please, please bear that in mind. It's just an illustration. It's not giving us mastery of understanding of who God is. Who, who could ever do that? Now, I want to begin with our first reading and our first question. So on to the next slide. And uh, if, uh, I think... Boris is bringing us our first reading, so if you could turn to Romans chapter 8, uh, verse uh, 15 to 17. The spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, that we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Great, thank you. So how are we relating to our kind Heavenly Father in prayer? How do we think of God as Father? What is he like to us? Is he kind? In verse 15, Paul, as we'll see as we go through Romans 5 to 8, is, is speaking about the, the Christian's privilege of being in a relationship with God as Heavenly Father. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. That's not the kind of relationship we have with God. We are not fearful in the wrong sense of that word, to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption. We've been brought into God's family. We've been, been drawn into the relationship of the Trinity. And it's by the Spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It, it's, a, it's a regular sort of theological expression that as we look at God, Father, 
that God the Father were, were, were cast onto the other two members of the Trinity. We can never think of or relate to any one person of the Trinity and not be relating to the others because they're one God, they're one being. And when we become Christians, we're given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit enables us to cry out to God as Abba, Daddy. We, we don't use the word Abba for God. We use that for other things, pop groups and that kind of thing. So Daddy is probably closer to our understanding of what we can call God. Now, I don't know whether you've been watching lots of films over the Christmas holidays. Uh, this is a film I've watched years and years ago. It's a sort of Christmas classic, the, Rail the Railway Children. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? The Railway Children. And, and you can guess the scene that I'm talking about, can't you? It's a scene that has in the past brought me to tears. I guess for many of us it creates an emotion in us which is, which is deep, uh, even if we don't admit it. And the, the scene is when the dad has been away for years and, and then comes back and the train pulls into the station and there's clouds of smoke because it's a steam engine. And the eldest girl sees her daddy and cries out, Daddy, my daddy, and in a way that I can't replicate. It's deeply emotional. Running to meet him goes to the heart. And what Paul is saying here is we cry out, if we're Christians here this morning, Daddy, my Daddy, it's that close, that intimate. The heart of God as Father is so kind towards us that we can call him my Daddy. Now Paul has already clearly taught this. If you just flip back with me to Romans chapter 5 verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. And it's God the Father who's primarily in mind there. We know that because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's God the Father who's in mind. This love has been poured out into our hearts. In chapter 5, verse 10, we're told, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So the subject is God the Father. As we looked at last week, we've been justified. We have peace with God. We're under his grace, his kindness. We have joy in the sure hope of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 7 puts it this way. The heart of God the Father is kind towards us because Paul says in Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the coming ages, he, that's God the Father, and the ages he's talking about are the new ages of create, new, the new creation, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, how are we relating to our kind Heavenly Father as we talk to him? Do we, do we conceive of God, our Heavenly Father, as supremely kind towards us? He knows what we need before we ask him. He's better than human earthly fathers who know how to give good things to their children, even though human fathers are evil in comparison to God, our Heavenly Father, and this may be challenging for us. For some of us, including me, when we start to realize that our relationship with our Father is far from normal, we can fill in that term Father 
with our human earthly father and our experiences of him rather than what God is actually like. And we fail to enjoy our relationship with God, our heavenly father, because we think he's like our earthly father. Some of us may have had distant fathers or cruel fathers or absent fathers or abusive fathers. We may need to talk with one another about how we are relating to God, our Heavenly Father, as He really is. Because the word Father for us carries so much freight that obscures our conviction that He's kind. I've been thinking this through in the last couple of years. And I think we need to be talking about this, not only in terms of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, but our modeling as fathers. Or maybe we will just repeat the mistakes that have been modeled to us. See, if we think in our minds, God the Father, distant, demanding, absent, are we going to enjoy that relationship? as much as the truth of the scriptures reveals to us. And when we see Jesus Christ, we might say, oh, Jesus was so kind and loving and truthful and gracious. And yet, when we see Jesus, he reveals to us what the Father is like. There's no difference in character between Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father, because Jesus reveals what God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are like. Separate persons, yes but one God. So how are we relating to our kind Heavenly Father in prayer? Maybe a question to talk about at the end. Second question, which will come after our second reading. So, Brian, if you want to bring us our second reading. This is from Romans 8, 26, 27, unsurprisingly slightly further along than the last one. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Great, thank you. Now, these words are full of encouragement for us if we're Christians here this morning. Because Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. A anybody here feel weak occasionally? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. But likewise, in what way? Because Paul is following on from the argument that we will look at in a few weeks' time of verses 18 to 25. And what he's saying is that the whole of creation is groaning. And Christians are groaning because the whole of creation and our lives as Christians is heading towards somewhere which is freedom, the new creation. And that creates in us a tension, a, a groaning, and it's in that like manner that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
You see, he's said in verse 23 that the creation and Christians groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's much that we go through in life which is not part of the new creation. It's part of the old world. It's part of the death that Adam brought into the world. It's, it's part of the fractured futility that this time, this world is characterized by. And yet we're living between times, between this old world and the new world. And what is it causing us? Oh. Oh. I, mean, I, can't, I can't do it properly, can I? When you're on your own and you're just so frustrated and you're the end of your tether and you just cannot understand what God is doing in your life and you just can't express it and out comes groaning or, or shaking fist or whatever it is, frustration. See, this groaning is not the gift of speaking in tongues as some people interpret here, because this is for every Christian. And Paul makes it quite clear that the gift of speaking in tongues is a gift for some Christians, not for every Christian. This is something that every Christian has. The privilege that we have of the ministry of the Holy Spirit groaning. Can you see what Paul says? We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself the person of the Spirit himself, intercedes for us. And when we think intercede, we think, oh, sort of religious, you know, priests, intercession. You know, I, I tell them one thing, and then they go and tell God. Yes, that's the ministry of Jesus, which Hebrews talks about. But here, the intercession is with groanings too deep for words. Or literally unspeakable groanings. See, it's so easy for us to think that God is a God of slick, polished words, isn't it? You, know, you turn up to the prayer meeting and some people use slick, polished words that, to be quite honest, brings in a language that is never used anywhere else in life. All of a sudden we're transported into this place of slick, polished words and we think that that's more spiritual. But here, the Holy Spirit groans. Doesn't use any words to communicate what's going on in our hearts to God. See, God the Holy Spirit, because he dwells in and each and every one of those who trust in Jesus, is groaning as we groan. And what happens because he does that? Well, Paul goes on, he... That's God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, by the Holy Spirit, not only do we cry, my daddy, we groan out of the depths of our beings, out of emotions and confusion that we cannot even understand ourselves. But because God knows the mind of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God because they're one God, and because the Holy Spirit groans unspeakably in line with our groaning, God understands exactly how we feel. I don't know, do you end up ever thinking, I'm not sure anybody really understands what I'm going through. 
Nobody understands how I feel. Not even me. But the person who most matters in the universe gets you, gets me, groans with the same kind of groans that we are using, that we barely even understand ourselves because we can't put it into human language. But the Spirit intercedes, takes that groan, is seen by God, Father and Son, and goes right into our Heavenly Father's, our Daddy's presence, so that He knows exactly what we need before we even ask it. So when we say to ourselves, I'm so frightened to pray, because what I feel like is so mixed. It's so mixed up. I'm so confused. What I ask God or what I want to ask God is so shot full of sin and love for this world and idolatry and I can't see the bad and the good. Well, then we can rest in the intercession of the Holy Spirit. He groans with a knowledge that is beyond our understanding. It's a perfect intercession. And so we can say, Holy Spirit, take what is good arising from my heart because I'm a child of God and you know the depths of my heart and help me to pray, to, to groan, to express what I need, even if I can't get any words out. Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you get me and you can pray for me and in me and with me and help me to cry out, even if it's just one word, Daddy. Well, you don't feel like a daddy. Well, why have you let this happen in my life? Now, the church has always addressed the Holy Spirit. And I know in some circles, there's a, a real negativity about talking to the Holy Spirit. So let me just quote a few significant theologians. John Owen, maybe England's greatest theologian. And uh, Tim Chester recommend, you know, points us to him in his book, the divine nature is the reason and cause of all worship so that it is impossible to worship any one person and not to worship the whole trinity. In other words, we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is to be worshipped and glorified. So if we worship Father and Son... Do we worship the Spirit? Or is that just a little bit of a relational gap? We just say, God. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I think we all are, perhaps. I, I don't know. So when it comes to relating and enjoying the Holy Spirit in our lives, the danger, according to Tim Chester, is we try to take the supernatural out of Christianity. The spirit, the breath, the wind of God still blows through people. It may not be accompanied by shaking buildings or violent winds, but the spirit still comes to bring life, power, courage. He gives power to proclaim Christ, and he gives life that we might die to self. And you can't have too much of that kind of power in life. Are we thinking, well, God, Father, and Son up there in heaven, and I'm just sort of on my own down here trying to, trying to do what pleases them. I don't feel like praying sometimes. 
I don't feel like obeying sometimes. I don't want to speak for Jesus sometimes. I don't want to serve. Is our go-to to ask the Holy Spirit? Oh, I don't want to obey you, Jesus. Oh, Spirit, please help me. I don't want to pray, God. Oh, Spirit, Holy Spirit, please change my heart. Please work. In, uh, you live inside me. I need help down here. It's not just the help up there that I'm kind of cut off from. I need help here today, now. The kind of power that blows down trees. We were uh, driving up to Durham, as many of you know. And at the side of the road, there was just all these trees that had fallen down and then been cut off. That is the power of, or that's the image that Jesus uses of the power of the Spirit in the life, in the inside life of people like you and me. Without his power, we can't see the kingdom. We can't enter the kingdom. We can't live the Christian life. There is so much in chapters 5 to 8 about our life in the Spirit. It's not according to law, according to chapter 7. We live in the, the new way of the Spirit. So how are we relating to the Holy Spirit? as we pray. Just a moment to think about that. How are we relating to our kind Heavenly Father? How are we relating to the Holy Spirit as we pray to God? Just a moment to think, to inform our conversation at the end of our, at the end of the talk. Now, I want to, I've wanted to major on those two because we'll, we'll be looking at a lot about our relationship with Jesus Christ and what it means to be in Jesus Christ in chapters 5 to 8, which is how to live the Christian life. Remember, we were thinking we don't just go back and start the Christian life again and again and again. Justification is a once-for-all event. We can look back on our justification, having been brought into this status of grace and peace and joy in the hope of the glory of God. Um, but our final reading is focused on Jesus as the Son of God, but you'll see that the way Paul expresses Trinitarian theology is that you can't talk about one person without talking about all three. But anyway, Chrissy, if you're happy to bring us our final reading, thank you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Great, thank you. Now when we pray, do we realise... Not only that we're not on our own, we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us with groans that are beyond words. Uh, not only can we call God Daddy, my Daddy, but that God has given us his Son. Uh, not just in his death and his resurrection, but also in his ascension to heaven and what Jesus is doing now, which is praying for us. Is that not an encouragement? When we are on our own praying and thinking, oh, I can't pray. Well, Jesus is praying for us. 
And the question I wanted to finish with, uh, and I, I'm almost done, because I want us to have time to think about how we ask one another how our relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is going in the one God who is the God we worship. How are we relating to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as we pray? Particularly in what is our expectation? How much do we expect God to be giving us? As we pray, is it a kind of, well, I'd, I'd, I'd like this, but you know, you're not really a very generous God, so I don't really expect you to give me much. What has been the most precious gift you've ever been given? Maybe you're thinking, well, it wasn't this year's Christmas presents, you know, socks and whatever. What was the most precious gift you've ever been given? Who is the most precious person in your life? If you Google the most precious gifts, for some it's the Taj Mahal given by Shah Jahan to his wife Mumtaz, 22 years in the building. In the building of the, not, not the length of time. But yeah, no. Some think it's Richard Burton's gift to Elizabeth Taylor of a 68-carat diamond, which apart from the diamond in the crown jewels, I think is one of the largest. You, you can think of others. I mean, that gift didn't you know, preserve the marriage that long, did it? But anyway, it was, a, it was an amazing gift. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have been given the world's, the universe's, the cosmos's most expensive gift by the greatest person in the universe, you have been given the Son of God by God the Father. See, what Paul says is, if God is for us, who can be against Can anybody be against us if God is for us? He who did not spare his own Son sent him to be born as a man and to die in agony on a cross, taking the punishment that people like you and I deserve. He was prepared for his son to be treated like that so he can know you and me so that he can give us his son's righteousness, clothe us in his son and say of us, here is my beloved child, my treasure, the one I delight in, the one who calls me daddy welcomed into that Trinitarian relationship. And Paul says, if, if he's given us his son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? <laughs> but if you're anything like me, I come to prayer and think, oh, well, I'm not sure you want to give me that much, God. I'm not expecting you to give me that much, just this. But if he's already given us his son, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Can we see just a little bit in my faltering and failing preaching how much we have to enjoy 
in our relationship with God. We just have a glimpse. Let's commit to that. Let's commit to asking one another because if we're drawn into a relationship of love, which is the Holy Trinity, that's going to help us love one another, isn't it, with the same kind of love. And if we realize what privileges we have in prayer to call upon the power of God, to trust and rest in the intercession of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, which I presume is perfect and unfailing, how, how this should encourage us to pray on our own, to pray as a church, to pray expecting lots of amazing, wonderful things of God because he who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give us all things? Well, let's just pray, and then um, we've got five minutes just to begin those questions in conversation, thinking particularly, how is our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father? How's our relationship with God the Son? How's our relationship with God the Holy Spirit in those particular ways? But let's just pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us yourself in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that you've given us the being who is most precious to you. You have given us yourself. You have not withheld yourself from us. We see what that cost you. We see how much we are treasured children of God in your sight. Please forgive us for being distracted away from enjoying you, our God, the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.